Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Shadowcast episode 19. I am Whiskey Neon, joined this evening with Black Math. Good evening. Rainmaker. Hello. And the amazing Zandy. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, unfortunately, due to, uh, well, him just being a bitch, Mr. Chin's not joining us tonight. And we would have loved to have had Wirefall, but we have currently switched over away from Skype and we are testing out Mumble this evening. So hopefully things work out and we can get him on Mumble and Mr. Chin can grow a pair of balls and decide to be on our show again. So what's he doing? Because he didn't let anyone know that he wouldn't be on tonight. He claims that he's on a vacation. Or, or no, no, what did he say? <laughs> he's on travel. He's on travel. Like, wh- what the fuck does that even mean? I'm on travel. That's that's literally what he said. On travel. On travel. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what he's doing right now. And... Uh, Apparently, he can't just let us know. Common courtesy. So, he's on probation. Because we don't dick around over here at Shadowcast. This is serious business. But, uh, yeah. And it really sucks because I had Sexy back all queued up and ready to play. And I can't even use it. But anyways. Oh, man. Waterfall's not with us. And neither is uh, Mr. Chin. But anyways, did y'all do anything fun this past week? Nope. I spent 14 hours in a car going to a funeral. Oh, whose wedding were you going to? <laughs> no, it was a legitimate funeral. My wife's grandmother passed away, so... Good times. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, Whiskey was... neon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Try the fish. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I experienced a hell storm last night that lasted for maybe a minute or two. It was super intense. And afterwards, uh, I smoked a cigarette. No, but, uh, it was insane because the hell, it was probably like an inch of hell and it was literally just a minute or two and it was about dime to quarter size hell. And, uh, this sucks. Yeah. It completely smacked the side of my new car up so uh, I've got dents and dings all along the side of my car now so that was real nice ooh that sucks costs a lot of money to fix yeah yeah I'm just gonna get a plunger and see what I can do doesn't your insurance cover that I'm sure they do Uh, but I'm gonna try a plunger first just to see (laughs) if it works it does in all the cartoons, so why not try it out? But anyways, like a like a bathroom plunger. Yeah, yeah, like the little little smaller oh, one. Man, you'll you'll go after one like one centimeter ding and turn it to like a four inch pimple. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll have a rubber mallet, and it's just a continuous cycle. <laughs> Just looks like a piece of crumpled up paper by the time I'm done with it. <laughs> it's all loose and flappy. <laughs> oh god, yeah. 
I don't need flashbacks to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're not talking about your mom yet. That's later in the show. But uh, 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 so did so. Um, uh, did you do anything cool, uh, Rainmaker? Oh wait, no, we already found out the cool thing. How about you, Black Math? Uh, I got to see a drug deal gone wrong uh, break out into a dance off. Oh come on, really? No. Oh, nothing damn. cool happened to me that I can talk about. I guess. Uh, I was really hoping that you had this like epic life experience and now I'm just extremely let down. Um, Uh, Well, actually my in-laws house caught fire and uh, (laughs) it was really tragic. It's the house my wife grew up in, but um, I was very impressed with uh, the incident response handling of uh, State Farm. Oh, really? Yeah. So my wife called the local State Farm agent, and she wasn't in the office, but uh, so she hadn't heard the message. She happened to be driving by and actually stopped, cut them a check on the spot for initial expenses, and got on the phone and called uh, ServPro, which is like, a, you know, they, they come in and clean up uh, fire and water damage and all kinds of stuff. So Bloody bodies. Year, yeah, I mean, like vans just start rolling in, and then another company rolls in with vans that grabs anything fabric that hasn't been heat or fire damaged, take off to go wash and clean and things like that. And set, they set them up with uh, housing in the meantime and things like that. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Wow. And uh, So I, I guess to... you could say that they were uh, like a good neighbor? Exactly. They were there. State Farm just rolled up. It was like the commercial. Like a good neighbor. <laughs> well, that's that's a good story. Uh-huh. I'm glad to hear that everything worked out. And they get to have a new house. If you think about it in that perspective, it's not so tragic. Yeah, they got all new stuff. Yeah. Nope, and nobody was hurt. See, then, yeah, you really come out ahead. Uh, it, they, it's like a spring cleaning of sorts, if you think about it. Well, that fender bender I got into, uh, what was it before December? Yeah. Um, the entire like front end are brand new. So like the headlights look so new. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy with it. Paint's all nice. And... <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, Zandy, did you do anything fun? Uh, not really. I had some fucking craziness happen at the last house I lived in. Apparently one of the housemates went crazy and like broke shit up. So landlords reking the locks and I am fucking glad I moved out of that. Dodged a bullet there. Yeah. Oh, so it didn't impact you any? No, the guy that's subletting from me, he's there. I feel bad for him, but well, not much I can do. Wait, so you're still on the lease? Yeah, because I cut out early. Are you, so you're not, but you're not liable for any of that. No, it, apparently it was some other guy. Wow, I have no idea. I've got a, who knows? I'm picturing in my mind like windows smashed and like chairs broken, but man, I don't know. I'm not there. Good for me. Yeah, yeah. You might would have missed an episode of Shadowcast. That would have sucked. 
or it would have happened like when we were recording oh and that would have been epic now i'm really sad (laughs) Uh, that would have been some great audio uh can you just go over there and see if everything's okay and bring your your laptop and mic (laughs) you know i could i might it'll be like an npr field report i'll go and be like this is the kitchen the stove is busted as you can see there's (laughs) holes in the ceiling yeah well all that shit was there like before but (laughs) but now you can claim it on insurance (laughs) right i'll go down the basement as you can see squirrels are getting in now like they always (laughs) have but well at least they're cute yeah yeah at least i'm not living there anymore Uh, yeah that's good so uh and guess if that wraps everything up, we can move into our Fergs, or my our Fergs, our Fergs. What Ferg. is that? I'm just making words Fergalicious. up. Delicious. Our first segment of the show. Now it's time for the feed. On Sunday, March twentieth, uh, an outside party demonstrated to the FBI a possible method for unlocking the iPhone that has been the center of the iPhone, uh, FBI, Apple debate. Uh, that's at least what federal prosecutors said uh, in a filing that they filed on Monday afternoon. They're trying to uh, test now to determine whether it is a viable method that will not compromise data on the iPhone. And if it is viable, then it should eliminate the need for the assistance from Apple Incorporated. So... What this is, is it's basically a pause button that has been put on the case between the the Department of Justice and Apple, which is good and bad for multiple reasons. Uh, the main one being that, uh, uh, you know, you've got the feds uh, who may not be able to win a case, but also we are losing the ability to set precedent so it's kind of a i don't know mixed feelings there kind of a dick move yeah but it, it, i'm kind of curious to see uh who is the person who has this method and uh was john McAfee's social engineering beyond the grave effective here <laughs> Now, Raymaker, I think you had planned on using this story, so what are your thoughts on it? Honestly, you basically said it right there that, you know, this is putting a giant pause button on the uh, setting precedent. Um, What I'm more curious about, again, is, you know, finding what that actual method is. I seriously doubt it was the social engineering of John McAfee that did it, but, uh, yeah, we'll find out. I think they said April 5th is when they they have to hit the DOJ with their uh, legal filings. So we'll find out at that time. Any speculation? As to what this could be? No clue. Uh, my speculation is uh, somehow doing a P2V, but I, I could be mistaken. But I bet if they virtualize the hardware, they can, you know, basically brute force it at will. Yeah, that's, that's like the no-brainer option there is really doing a P2V anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Oh, penis to vagina. <laughs> Is that what you were thinking, Black Man? Uh... <laughs> yeah, my uh. 
my 12 year old brain kicking in <laughs> the bruce jenner method yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who uh don't know that's physical to virtual uh <laughs> or penis to vagina depending on your mindset <laughs> oh god yeah that's uh if someone figured out to a way to uh, virtualize it that's going to be actually pretty damn impressive uh and I, I would love to know how exactly that goes down and uh if this is actually possible then the question that could be brought up from apple I don't know how this shit applies when it comes to the government. Because as we've learned time and time again, the government is above the law all the time, right? But if there was a way to somehow bypass the security here, that would be potentially a violation of the, the Digital Millennial Copyright Act. So there could be a, <laughs> a DMCA violation and Apple could potentially pursue that. Um, who knows? But I don't wouldn't know. Wouldn't the Patriot Act supersede something like that? I'm sure it would. I'm sure, like, uh, just an FBI field agent's left nut would supersede any actual law. But this is lawyers that are with Apple, so... I didn't realize you could just put a, a trial on hold just by asking. Because you might have some other option. It's like those friends who, you know, you make plans with and... They say, well, I got vacation. I've got. I'm on travel. Maybe I'll show up for the <laughs> podcast. I'm on travel, guys. I'm on travel. <laughs> I wonder if that's a FBI legal defense. On travel. Yeah. yeah. To Israel. <laughs> for celebrate. There we go. Um, continuing on with cell phone and terrorist, the Paris terrorist. Um. You know, like a lot of a lot of pundits and douchebags in general were claiming that ISIS and all of these terror cells use encryption apps, and of course they could, and they probably do. Uh, but in the case of the Paris terrorist, they use burner phones, and I'm not just saying like a prepaid phone. They actually used burner. Burner phones, like, uh, like they would go through them all the time, like one call and that's it, like actual burner use, like in the original meaning of the term. And uh, when they were busting these people, uh, they were finding just stacks and stacks of burner phones, uh, and a lot of these that were not even uh, used. Uh, yet, like, I, I forgot, like, one of them had, like, five unused phones still in the boxes, and they would just use this to make one call, and that's it, and, you know, that, they, they did it smart, uh, and that, of course, you could get the metadata, but what use is that going to be? Even if you're doing tire dumps, you could correlate that information potentially, but these people were more than likely very mobile, and it would be really hard to... Uh, track them via metadata alone. So, uh, but but one thing that was interesting about this is that uh, the New York Times, in an article about this, 
uh, says, quote, according to the police report interviews with officials, none of the attackers emails or other electronics communications have been found, prompting the authorities to conclude that the group used encryption. <laughs> what kind of encryption uh, remains unknown as among the details Mr. Adelson's capture, or I don't know, I don't know how to say any foreign last name, uh, could help reveal. But they think because there's nothing there, that there's some kind of magical encryption involved. Uh, which it, we all know is complete bullshit. Um, one of you know, the I, wa I wonder if they did the same thing by saying, well, look, they don't have Facebook accounts, so surely they must be hiding them. Yeah, exactly. Uh... Uh, one of the things that was interesting is uh, uh, they also uh, said a blurb here. Uh, one of the terrorists pulled out a laptop, propping it open against the wall, said a 40-year-old woman. When the laptop powered on, she saw a, lot, a line of gibberish across the screen. It was bizarre. He was like looking at a bunch of lines, like lines of code. There was no image, no internet. Uh, and so... Uh, New York Times concludes that her description matches the look of certain encryption software which ISIS claims to have used during the Paris attacks. Or, they could just be fucking booting up Linux. That, what that's, the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, it just goes to show you can't trust someone that doesn't use Windows and doesn't have the internet on their computer. Yes. I mean, I, what I, kind of monster would even do that? I, I remember this article from probably 15 years ago at least, or around that time frame, that was about how Linux was like this hacker operating system. It was a satire article <laughs> warning parents, and that's the exact sign, like exact type of rhetoric that you would expect from a satire article. But go figure. Uh, encryption is just like it is in the movies. There's no GUI. It's just command line. That's the way it is if you're uh, Mr. Chin and on travel apparently. But uh, for everyone else, uh, there's a good balance. You can have this thing called a GUI uh, if you want to send encrypted messages. And to be honest, most terrorists are probably going to use something that has a very simple and disgusting-looking uh, graphical interface uh, because they yeah, want to make. Seen their... Yeah, yeah, they're they're have you seen their website app. defacements. Oh yeah, their website defacements are like a time travel back to 1999. And MySpace. Yeah, it's awesome. They look like MySpace profiles. Yeah. Have you heard their music as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, their music is insane. Here's a little sample of what their music sounds like. <laughs> I'm kidding, that's not actually their music. If you've played this, uh, they would probably behead you. Because it's a, uh, a crime to have music with, uh, like, like, anything other than vocals. So... So it's a good way to. That's called, that's a that's a song called Allah Snack Bar that you can look up. <laughs> 
You download it from Jester's website. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking about like that's a perfect song to for dis- defacements because um, they always play techno stuff on on defacements in the background music. You, you should play that on your laptop while you have a command line shit <laughs> scrolling across your screen. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> That's some yellow shit I don't think I could even acquire like in my lifetime. I don't know if I could get to that level of yellow. It'll be really popular in coffee shops. <laughs> uh, yeah, do it do it at, at, at like a public transportation or something right now. <laughs> That's the time to do it. Uh, oh, yeah. Just go wait in the airport. Don't even have a flight. Just go wait. Sit down. Start using the Wi-Fi with that. Yes. That's a great idea. Um, I'm full of them. <laughs> All right, moving on real quick. Uh, Uber has started a bug bounty program where they will pay $10,000 for bugs in their bounty program. So if you are able to find a bug that could deface Uber's site or expose emails, get five grand. If you could you know, do like a significant ownage, uh... Run run code on a production server or take over accounts. You can earn as much as ten grand, at least theoretically. Apparently, there's some people who are claiming that uh, uh, there are uh, you know the whole thing is a bunch of bullshit. There was a post that was on Reddit uh, subreddit technology that had five thousand five hundred and ten upvotes. And, uh, there was a, a lot of a, uh, a controversy there. And basically the, uh, they, they alleged that Uber was not going to pay these, uh, these, you know, well-known bug bounty people, uh, because they changed the terms and stuff on the fly. And there was this big, big, uh, long list of things. It was titled Uber's bug bounty program is a complete sham. Specific evidence entailed, and if you go to read this, it's now deleted. So that person probably uh, was—I don't know—contacted by some legal person. Cease and desist. Yeah. Anytime you get a cease and desist, just remember, freedom didn't cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, Your mom did not cease and desist. What? What? But uh, moving on, I, a, a quick little thing here. Uh, Gliffy, y'all, y'all ever used Gliffy? It's like yeah. a, it's a, like a diagram, online diagram. Like instead of using Vizio for your network diagrams. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, Gliffy's uh, <laughs> had a really bad outage, uh, an embarrassing outage, um, to where there's even a uh, an apology letter that was posted uh, yesterday from the CEO, um, and uh, the CEO takes complete responsibility for what happened, uh, even though that's not really his fault. Uh, I found this really interesting. Because they had this outage, it started on uh, the 21st and lasted until I believe it was yesterday. Um, and what happened here was if you look through their updates, uh, let's see. 
Uh, I, I got to find this. Uh, yeah, here we go. The update on uh, March 21st at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The first paragraph here. We discovered an issue in one of our backup systems last Thursday night. Maintenance was scheduled to resolve the issue over the weekend. On working to resolve the issue, an administrator accidentally deleted the production database. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they, they continue. The good oh. news is that we have copies of our database that are re- replicated daily up until the exact point of time in which the database was deleted. Now, that's what makes this so interesting for me is because, of course, this is hilarious that they took out the production database. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine that realization, that moment of that person when they realized what they had done. But anyways, uh, they had the backups and everything's there. But the problem wasn't the backups not being there, was restoring the backups. And that's one thing that I find is interesting in a lot of people's um, uh, backup and disaster recovery strategies is that they back up their data, and that's cool. You know, everyone backs up their data. But what are you going to do about uh, your conti- their continuity and, and restoring those backups? And in the case of Gliffy, it, it took two days or three days total, really, to get everything back up. Uh, so was if, it off-site on tape? I don't know. It, uh, you would think it wouldn't be that long to do, but, uh, you know, if you're using tape or whatever, uh, restoring is going to take a good bit of time. Uh, I, I don't understand. If you have a virtualized environment, which everyone, I would imagine, would have a, a, a virtualized environment at this point in their enterprise for most things, uh, at least be doing virtualized snapshots of, of your physical hardware to restore it. If you don't have a, a, a like an actual BDR solution in place, you should definitely be looking at doing it so that this doesn't happen to you. Because <laughs> I can't imagine how the hell that even happened and why it took so long to restore it. Well, if, maybe their database is huge. And because the entire database was deleted, they couldn't do like some sort of incremental restore or something like that. Like they had to rebuild the entire thing from scratch. And if they, I don't know. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. I have no idea why it took two days. Yeah, I don't know either. But the fact is that it did. And that poor sysadmin... Learned a very expensive and 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 uh, valuable lesson, and will never make that mistake ever again. Oh yeah. Unless that sysadmin's name was Mister Chin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quick little other story here. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting here is, um, if you're um. Some cool kid, hip developer nowadays, you are more than likely someone who uses Node.js. And uh, and if you don't hate it, then I don't like you. Um, but basically, a package manager for Node is NPM. And apparently, uh, a package manager for a 
for for Node.js can actually become a program, uh, like, like not a program, an actual company. Who who would figure that that could actually be a business at all? But whatever, it is apparently. Um, and so I just thought that npm was just like some you know re repo that people used for modules and stuff. But apparently it's an actual company. Anyways, there's a project that this uh, developer uh, who who made a, uh, a a little npm module uh, called Kick K I K like the messaging app and uh, what happened was is Kick the actual messaging app company sends a cease and desist to the developer and says, yo, bro, that's our company name. And he's like, hell no, I'm not doing anything with this because I uh, I didn't even know your app existed. And it was just like a big, you know, ordeal. Uh, but long story short, short the, the developer gets butt hurt and just removes all of his packages from NPM, which actually ended up screwing a lot of people. Because one of his packages that he... Uh, that he created, uh, which was a total of 272 packages. One of those was called left-pad. And a lot of projects uh, and their dependencies include this left-pad, which was only 11 lines of code. That was basically like a placeholder uh, thing. I don't even know what the hell the point was. But anyways, this tiny little uh, dependency here, when he removed it, broke all of the builds for... Uh, like thousands and thousands of projects um uh npm the the organization the company uh said that uh after 2 30 p.m pacific time on tuesday they began observing hundreds of failures per minute uh <laughs> and um basically uh within 10 minutes uh Someone had had published the the identical functionality that was in that. Uh, it, it was an open source module, anyways. So uh, this person came in and put that in place, and within ten minutes saved the entire thing. But it uh, the whole the whole shebang there, the whole thing actually caused a disruption for two and a half hours. Uh, and what I feel like this, uh, shows is how fucking stupid the node development, uh, community at large is, is these blind dependencies that you just expect some repo to produce to you without error, uh, could have potentially have caused a lot of, uh, applications to have failed to build, especially if you have automated systems in place or whatever, uh, and I don't know, I, I feel like this is reflective of this, like, magical development culture that exists nowadays with DevOps, where you want to make things, um, integrated and easy to deploy and stuff instead of, I, I don't know, I just feel like this is one of those things where the centralization of it all can cause issues, and this is just one little example of a pissed off dev what if at some point someone becomes malicious and wants to do something screwy here? Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting at the very least. What I find really funny is, like as a programmer, left padding a string is something that all kinds of like printf functions just support. Like it's part of a bunch of languages. And yet here in JavaScript, we've got to have a whole fucking separate library for it. And the library is like 10 or 11 lines or so. Yeah. 
Yeah, love and lines. Yeah, it's one of those things where I see it and I think to myself, like, does the JavaScript development community, like, eat blue or something? Well, why the hell does Node even exist at that point? Uh, who thought that JavaScript, which was a browser, like, scripting language, should be used for, like, full-blown applications? That That's never made any sense to me, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a whole mess. Earlier today, I was looking at manipulating dates in JavaScript and thought to myself, like, I went, I searched around, I read documentation, and after a, a bit of that, I thought to myself, fuck this, I'm doing the server side. There's no, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to go through this pain in JavaScript when there's, like, mature modules that I can use. But, but, but Zandy, server. with Node, you could do both. You do oh it in JavaScript God. and on server side. <laughs> Twice the pain for half the work. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that's honestly my main complaint is that I see all of the bullshit that goes into Node apps and I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? This would be so much easier in any other scripting language. Why Why do I have to go through all of this BS? What is so robust about this? Yeah, I don't know. It is just bizarre. Maybe it's a thing I don't understand. I don't. I, I think that's it. I think we're just not hip enough. Uh, I don't know. It's cray. Um, but cray cray. A cray cray, yeah. Uh, one quick little thing here. The uh, This was interesting. Uh, so for those of you who aren't aware, uh, on Christmas Eve, if I remember correctly, or Christmas Day, I don't remember which, uh, but it was during Christmas, a uh, tornado goes through the suburbs of Dallas, and uh, one... One woman in particular was the uh, the subject of a, uh, a KERA news. It's a local uh, like radio station, and they're doing this whole uh, little little series on her uh, on this on this lady Lindsay Diaz, and it's titled "One Crisis Away: Rebuilding a Life." Well, uh, what happened was that she just applied for her builder's permit to repair her house. And uh, uh, on that same day <laughs> that this happened, uh, her, uh, she, gets this, uh, she, she gets this call from her neighbor. And, and this is a direct quote from Lindsay. She says, I was driving home from work and I get a call from my neighbor. She's very frantic, crying, and I ask her, what's going on? She said a company came and demolished the house by mistake. And so she gets home and just finds a concrete slab and that's it. Oh. And Holy it was, shit. So she explains that a structural engineer came out to see her house and he wrote a report stating that the home was structurally sound. One of the walls needed to be replaced, some of the rafters on the roof needed to be replaced. But the home was structurally sound and did not need to come down. So she was going to rebuild and she was going to be able to move back in by the end of summer. Uh, but what happened was Billy L. Neighbors' demolition, uh, demolition uh, actually sent uh, workers out and they had the right house number but the wrong street and demolished her house instead. And all of this happened because Google Maps gave the wrong house so they looked up on Google Maps, went to the house they thought they were going to, and instead knocked down her house. Instead. Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> Close enough. All because Google Maps was wrong. Yeah, so, damn. So, yeah. 
Uh, Follow and, up to that, the uh, demolition company has uh, acknowledged responsibility for that. So if that's anything. Yeah, I mean, they kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> if you knock down someone's house, kind of have to own up to it. Um, I, I got a, uh, two more things here. And uh, probably the classiest items that I've planned to talk about this week. Uh, this is coming from Fortune Magazine. Uh, with the title of Pornhub adds free virtual reality section for Oculus and Google Cardboard. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about uh, Pornhub on the site, uh, or I mean, on the show. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, a very innovative site. They always are doing things that are, are way more, uh, I, I guess, innovative, but creative, I guess, would be this, uh, the word I'd use. Uh, and they've added a virtual reality category, and being that Rainmakers are a resident VR expert here, uh, <laughs> are you currently are you currently uh, viewing? Porn no, <laughs> but I can't tell you this. I, I did. I did follow up on that. What they basically did was, you know, the, it's just another producer of content that they're basically taking videos from. It's all MP4 files or or whatnot. The same thing that's going in with the other, you know, non VR content. So it's just a different company that's feeding in videos to that company. But uh, I applaud anybody who brings in VR content into their regular uh, scheduled programming. So. Um, Go Pornhub. <laughs> Indeed, go Pornhub. You know, this is going to make it a lot easier for people to crash their cars looking at porn. <laughs> well, yeah, when that HTC uh, headset comes out with the augmented reality, you'd have a... Uh, well, hell, with Rainmakers, even uh, the the Galaxy Gear, what you've been doing with it, you could technically, you could technically do that. Well, I was trying to do it at the last DHA meeting where uh, you could actually do the pass-through camera and uh, throw up a, a VNC session up in one of the uh, your fields of vision. So you could actually have like a uh, minority report window up in your screen. So um, something a little more devious is definitely in the agenda, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's definitely something that's plausible. Yeah, that was a lot of like fun uh, when I put on the VR headset and I look over to the, my right, and then there's just Google waiting, and then me like I'm just sitting there trying to tap shit in midair when I already know how this works. <laughs> I know that this is VNC and I know that there's no motion tracking, but my natural reflex was to put my hands out and try to control the HUD. Uh, but the new HTC headset looks like uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But I find what you're doing with it to be really cool. Uh, and uh, Zandy, you were there at DHA when he had the the VR stuff at the. Uh, am I thinking correctly? You were there, right? You got to see the VR. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and it was like, uh, what did, what did you have? You had the roller coaster. You had porn. What else? Helicopter rides, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's all I remember. You remember the helicopter ride? Yep. Oh, I, I remember, uh, I don't know, some porn. <laughs> Something else, yes. Yeah, there's some porn. I don't remember. I just remember. Just do a virtual tour of uh, Mr. Chin's house. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, Without him knowing. That, that actually would be great. Oh, my God. You know, it'd be that would be great. Breaking into their play. He's on travel, right? I wonder how long he's on travel. 
I wonder if we could just go over this what weekend. Is, what is the average on travel duration? I don't know. Well, let's see. Uh, he's probably going to be there and come back on Sunday. So what kind of what kind of gear do you need to actually make the VR? Uh, you just need a stereoscopic camera. Actually, um, you don't even need that. Using a standard smartphone, there's apps that will do 360 de- degree camera footage. Uh, so just like how you do panoramic photos currently, it does the same thing with uh, omnidirectional cameras. Oh, and there was something. There was some Google app I looked at a while back where you could. Um, Add panoramas to Google Maps and look like get interior interiors and all kinds of other shit. That would be cool. Don't remember what that was. I well, downloaded it and everything. Well, <laughs> well, the uh, I remember there was some way to like hack together a stereoscopic camera. Basically, all it is is you just need two cameras right next to each other to be able to do it. Uh, or is that for three D? That's for three D. Never mind. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, it would be great to have a VR tour of Mr. Chin's house, especially if it was presented at DHA and he didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, nice little surprise. Oh, God, that would be so classic. Oh, you could show off his cabling. <laughs> yeah, his cabling. Uh, oh, you was... could do like a whole production, like hire actors and... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like God. adult actors. It'll be MTV <laughs> Cribs. Adult industry actors. Yeah, what people fucking on his uh, desk in his office. Yeah. How much money are you putting Never towards this? Never smell the same again. How much money am I putting towards this? I didn't say that we're going to get like professional <laughs> actors. I'd probably be one. I'd probably just be <laughs> solo of me just jerking off on his keyboard. Like no, the the, the whole tour is just pretty like bland. Except the fact that it's his house, and the very end of the tour ends in his bedroom with you teabagging his pillows. (laughs) Wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) Uh, Alright, so uh, to wrap up the classy part of this, I guess, for me, at least. uh, Y'all guys remember a while back I talked a bit about uh, my boy Muhammad. Uh, The clock kid? What? Oh no, never mind. That's no, no, me. not the clock kid. No, no. Uh, there's so many Muhammads to pick from. I know. Now this is Muhammad Abad. Uh, he's from Scotland. The 44-year-old man who uh, his penis was ripped off when he was six years old. Y'all remember that guy? Ouch. Yeah. Nope. Oh well, basically, uh, when he was six years old, he's like in a snowball flat fight. He gets pushed out in the road. Car hits him drags him like 300 feet in the road oh that's right yeah and ripped his dick off well uh that's fucked up yeah a few months ago he got a he was the first man in the world to get a bionic penis and uh and then uh, uh, charlotte rose um voted uh i think it was 2014 britain's escort of the year volunteered to uh take his virginity and then he got in a car accident and broke his like ankle or something <laughs> and it was delayed well i'm happy to report <laughs> the, that my boy muhammad got laid yeah yeah he did hey. one interesting thing about this is that uh he was married before he's he's divorced but it was an arranged marriage and he did not reveal to his 
uh, wife until they were already married on their wedding night. He didn't have a penis. Oh. <laughs> so anyways, with all of that behind him, Charlotte Rose uh, met up with him, and they spent a couple of days together, actually. Got to know each other. And then they had sex. And uh, what was interesting is that Charlotte said that uh, I wanted to make sure there was no pressure for Mo. There was a lot of fun, smiles, and giggles. The room got quite heated. And uh, so she also, I'm trying to get the other quote because that's where it, uh, yeah, here it goes. After their session together, which lasted for an hour and three quarters, Charlotte said that she was impressed. Now, that is what I'm impressed with. This dude, first time he ever had sex in life, and he lasts almost two hours, and a and a uh, professional hooker said that she was impressed. So good job, Muhammad. Well, it's a bionic penis. It is a bionic penis, yeah. Uh, and his plans in life now are to be in a uh, serious relationship by next year and to have a kid. He's Robocock. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. In That's theaters this summer, it's Robocock. <laughs> yeah, that would be something to look forward to. That's it. That's all the news I have. What about you guys? I got uh, I got one that is very important. <clears throat> uh, sextortionist government worker gets nearly five years in the slammer. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, a former U.S. Embassy worker who sextorted, fished, broke into email accounts, stole explicit images, and cyber-stalked hundreds of women from around the world from his London office has been sentenced to nearly five years in jail. Good old Michael C. Ford from Atlanta, pretty close to Florida, pleaded guilty in December to nine counts of cyber-stalking, seven counts of computer hacking to extort and one count of wire fraud. Um, so basically what he did was he pretended to be from the fictional Google account deletion team. <laughs> he used aliases like David Anderson, and John Parsons, telling victims that their email accounts would be deleted if they didn't respond. Um, basically fished them to gain access to their Gmail, Gmail accounts and used those details to hijack at least 450 Google, Facebook, Twitter, and iCloud profiles belonging to 200 individuals. Wow. Yeah, he... Uh, Kudos. That's really that's a really great that's, campaign. Effective. <laughs> says he uh, said, said he ransacked their personal information and photos, and then he would start extorting... His preferred prayer was young females, some of whom were students at U.S. colleges and universities with a particular focus on members of sororities and aspiring models. Oh, my. Deed. <laughs> <laughs> so then he got five years? Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh... I swear there's other hackers, or, you know, people that hack shit and got way more than that. Of course. Yeah, like, what did... <laughs> This the fappening guy got a. Uh, I don't remember. That was last week. Go listen to last week's. You assholes, if you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> he would extort them to uh, take films of other people, like in locker rooms, changing rooms, gyms, 
clothing stores. Wow. You know, that's an interesting sextortion technique. I wouldn't necessarily go for other people, like hacking into people's accounts. I would just try to manipulate them into sending me incriminating things. And I wouldn't even target females. I feel like men would be uh, way better targets for sextortion. But he probably had some kind of perverted, you know, like... Oh, he he did. He demanded uh, more sexually explicit uh, material from the victims. Wow. And further extorted them to make content for him. Whoa. It's like spy cams. Whoa. He was a busy guy. Uh, oh, apparently, uh, on one day alone, on the 8th of April in 2015, he sent phishing emails to about 800 unique email addresses. On the same day, he sent 180 follow-ups to targets who hadn't yet responded, plus 15 emails to potential targets who provided the wrong passwords. <laughs> Wait, did it say he did this at work? Yeah. Damn, I think, damn. I think he's so. got yeah, from his London office. That's like two full-time jobs. Yeah, I, I was going to say, but I wouldn't even waste my time with that. I mean, he must have really been a huge deviant because if I was going to do that kind of work. I'd want to make some money out of it, not just get some like well, creepy ass whether porn. He, whether he did or didn't, I mean, he maybe he sold these on the deep web through seven proxies. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I would totally target married men, and uh, like if I was gonna do that, I would totally go after married men. Yeah, but they just kill themselves. Well, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> That's dark, dude. <laughs> but but for real, uh, yeah, I I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, it, that's a really interesting concept if you're going after women. That's some serious dedication, but... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty mass scale there. That is. That's what I'm saying. Like, I would, if I was going to dedicate all those resources, I would actually try to make money off of it. Oh, man. Like, imagine if he would have used that energy, not going after women because he's a horny asshole, but actually going after politicians and... And successful businessmen. I imagine what he could have accomplished with that. But no. Whatever gives you boners. I guess so. It's not like there's a... Uh, there isn't an infinite supply of very similar content on the internet for you to just get anyways. Uh, I don't know why you have to extort it out of people. Unless that's that in and of itself is the fetish, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Probably. Well. Anyway, Zandy, you you're the expert on this. <laughs> Why don't you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> what, what am I supposed to be an expert on? <laughs> uh, the, sextortion. Yeah, the thrill of sextortion. of extorting sexual acts from from women. Well, I mean, like you said, that's probably it. Because otherwise, you could just go Google it and get like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to use it. I had to use it. Mr. Chin wasn't here, so I had to use it at some point. <laughs> and on that note, if you want to read more about it, you can just go to tinyurl.com slash Mr. Chin Free Candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. That's hilarious. Awesome. All right. So, uh, Raymaker, you got a story? 
Yeah, I've got two stories. Uh, let's see. The first one, uh, Anonymous just pulled a fast one on Donald Trump and his campaign prior to their April, April 1st full frontal assault on their campaign. They, uh, our most well-known hacktivist group launched uh, Operation Op White Rose. Only problem was this was a giant trap. Uh, Friday, they released Trump's personal information online, such as his social security number and his cell phone. The problem with this is that none of this information was actually hacked. All this information was publicly available and online for years. Uh, Anonymous released this statement. Thank you, Trump and Trump campaign. Thank you, police, FBI, and the Secret Service for being a part of our little experiment on how we should expect the so-called new America will be. Yeah, I don't understand what the fuck the point of that was. Other than getting in headlines. Actually, I saw something today that uh, now they're... Uh, Anonymous is also doing press releases saying that that's not anonymous <laughs> oh really oh of course yeah there's some uh internal strife yeah it's internal strife with the hacker group that is not a group it's a collective that's not has, a collective has no internals i guess technically yeah yeah well go figure so I guess it's just some a bunch of fucking idiots that, being idiots yeah they say that you know they don't support any particular like political affiliations or things like that and the other side is saying that it's not because of politics it's because he's a huge asshole <laughs> oh i mean i can understand both sides of that I, I no you know what that's what i really get pissed off about because this shit used to not even matter like you didn't give a fuck about all of this political stuff it used to just be for the lulls and that is, should be what the whole point of all this is, you know. Well, I think that I I get I thought it was pretty funny personally that you know yeah. they did this for the lulls because you're right, all this information was publicly out there, and they just did it to see everybody get their panties in a wad <laughs> and just said, "Haha, jokes on you, douchebags." Yeah, and see, like the feds uh, start investigations without actually confirming that a crime has been committed. Oh, they do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, they do. Oh, that's right. But if you look at, like, uh, LulzSec uh, and Lizard Squad, both groups that have more of the spirit of Anonymous, even though... Don't forget Cyber Friends. <laughs> yes, Cyber Friends. <laughs> Guys, but yeah, the, the Lizard Squad is definitely the definition of doing it for the lulz. I've never seen uh, a group of people who, who do so much damage in the sake of the lulz. I mean, doing bomb threats on Twitter and downing the Sony Entertainment of America's president, like, just fucking his flight over just for the lulls. Like, <laughs> that's, you're taking a huge <laughs> risk just to just to inconvenience the guy that you're dossing, you know? <laughs> Ruining Christmas for <laughs> countless people. That's, that's hilarious. Except for, like, now that I have an Xbox One, I really do not like it when people are dosing Xbox Live because the damn thing <laughs> barely stays on like it is. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think they have a huge DOS network. I think it's just one asshole with low, uh, like, low-orbit ion cannon just firing away, and that's all it takes because the damn thing's about to crash any second anyways. I know, that's what I think when my connection goes bad. <laughs> like... 
fucking I, lizard squad. Yeah, I can't even get on my damn Xbox half the time to watch Netflix because I have to be on Xbox Live and it's down. It's crazy. I, I, I They really need to work on that, but that's another topic. Speaking of other topics, I've got one more story. There we go. Microsoft has introduced an innocent artificial intelligence chat robot to Twitter, and within 24 hours it had to lobotomize it after it was uh, transformed into an evil, Hitler-loving, incestual, sex-promoting, Bush-did-9-11 proclaiming robot. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> oh, that's what saying. I love the internet. Developers at Microsoft created Tay uh, to speak uh, in leet speaker like a teen girl in order to improve their customer service and their voice recognition software. Uh, they marketed this as uh, AI with zero chill, um, and they couldn't be more wrong. Uh, apparently, uh, I'll just kind of go over a couple of them, but uh, Tay was asking followers to F her, call them daddy. And uh, this was all due to uh, responses and conversations that she had with real humans. So basically, um, people for the lulls apparently just trained her to be completely uh, just a Hitler-loving, you know, whore. Apparently, some well, of the yeah. uh, some of these were Ted Cruz as the Cuban Hitler, and uh, it, it was crazy. Um, the article then goes off in a completely different direction, basically talking about sexism in the tech industry. Oh my and, God. Yeah. I know. And I get it. I get uh, it. That's where I kind of lost interest in the article. We get it. There's a gender bias, you know, actions are be taking, no, taking that. to remediate this. No, there really is. But uh, you know, no, no, that, no, there is whatever. Go, go, go fuck a goat with the point. Like th that's the internet being the internet. There was 96,000 tweets in one day. You can't say that's the tech industry being sexist. That's being Twitter being like funny as hell just well, because it's a bunch of channers saying wow look there's a chat bot let's screw it up i mean yeah but here's, here's, here's the uh, article's take on it why did the uh ai have to be a teenage girl you know well, that that's kind of where they were going with it not necessarily that you know we oh. basically trained it to be a complete fucktard chat bot oh but it had to be a teenage girl. A girl yeah Oh, oh. Yeah, that's probably that's probably two things. I don't know why that why it had to be a girl, but okay, you know, you know, you know why it had to be a fucking girl? Because if it would have been a guy, they'd been like, why the fuck couldn't it have been a girl? You can't make <laughs> anyone happy. Everyone's gonna well, be butt hurt all the time, anyways. I mean, at least they didn't they didn't I go mean, do that fucking hack a hack a hair dryer project like IBM did. I mean, you know, like <laughs> that is just oblivious to reality. If you thought that was going to end well, this well, it's, it's a it's a chatbot. They could have just said like whatever. It's an AI. But I think the reason they said it was a teenager was like, you remember a few months back there was that one um, AI that made the news because the people that wrote it said it passed the Turing test, and then it turned out that it was just totally stupid. Right. That's where they All were like. Is. They said like with. That one a few months back, they said, oh, it's, you know, their cover story was that it was this young kid who didn't even know English as a first language. <laughs> and so I am I think probably the whole like, oh, they're a teenager thing is just a big cop out for if your AI is not like super up to par, which. Well, honestly, I mean. all of them pretty much are, are shit. So they might as well just say that they're all toddlers because that's honestly the communication if you're trying to communicate with an AI, it's going to respond about as as well as a conversation with a three-year-old would go. And the the calling that sex is just really pisses me off because it's it's a woman 
uh, and, and who gives a shit if if you actually you know what sexist is saying that it's sexist because it's a it's it's a teenage girl that inherently is, is sexist. It's third wave or like feminist well, bullshit. That's no there's no real real sexism at play here. It's just a bunch of douchebags. Well, like, like it depends on Hillary is, why. Uh, just as sexist as not voting for Hillary because she's a woman. Yeah, that would be dumb. I mean, but like, <laughs> the whole point is why. <laughs> like, what's the whole point? I, I'm not even sure why they would put a chatbot on Twitter and expect anything to go well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. That why? was a what's dumb the point? Yeah. What but... did they expect? <laughs> did, did they think that somehow training a chatbot <laughs> on public shit from Twitter would be would be any good uh like was this supposed to be marketing <laughs> i think that what happened here was that they thought that they could put this out there uh, honestly they probably didn't expect the traction that it got now one thing to remember here is that this uh, these tweets that were offensive not all of those were actually coming directly from the ai itself there was a function kind of like how you do with normal chatbots where you can have it do certain things and you can have it reply back what you said to it. So a lot of those really inappropriate things were actually a command that the user sent to the AI to then reply back. But later on, as it the machine learning algorithms, you know, did their thing, uh, that there was actually uh, a, 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 a an organic responses that were offensive and, and ridiculous. Uh, some of them involving Trump are really hilarious. Um, but Microsoft then started deleting these offensive tweets. And that's what I find the best part of this entire story is that it was someone's job to go through 96,000 tweets and have to delete the offensive <laughs> ones. That to me makes my day a whole lot better. <laughs> uh. well to the question of why did they even do this with a teenage girl i mean that's easy to answer they're just trying to be hip and appeal to uh to, to teens yeah like, i mean of course it's it. not a great idea but have you seen the windows 95 launch video yeah, seeing Bill Gates I mean, dance like a jackass. Well, you those know are what? the roots of, <laughs> of the people behind this idea. Yeah, you've got Balmer over in the corner screaming developers and pitting like a mofo. you got Bill Gates <laughs> dancing like Mr. Chen at a hacker con. And <laughs> it's just a recipe for disaster. Just as many sausages on the dance floor. Yeah. And and that's and that's a good point is that marketing to young people and making it fun, um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like they if you fun. if you made a stock photo, uh, you you got to have you know all of those considerations. We got to have at least uh, a male and a female, preferably multiple uh, races. You know, we need to be diverse, all that kind of stuff. I don't think too much thought went into. Uh, how offensive a, a teenage AI could be. Uh, and it was offensive. So that was really good. That was a good experiment. And I would have loved it if they would have just left the offensive things up there. Because that is the state of artificial intelligence. It's uh, it's a rough around the edges. Just like the language. Uh, so... 
thanks for uh, that story, Rainmaker. You incited rage and laughter all in one story. Oh, by the way, the uh, URL for that is tiny URL Mr. Chin on travel. that's awesome oh hey speaking of microsoft uh if you guys read and read up on that bad lock vuln that has yet to be released no what's that about oh uh somebody okay so you know like how when uh bugs and vulns are released they're they're branded and they have their own website and shit right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> one like a new one has been announced that affects uh samba actually oh yeah 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 and it's called badlock and it's got a logo and everything but they're not releasing it or disclosing it until april 12th what's april 12th is that patch tuesday let me see yep yep, yep. Next, <laughs> next patch tuesday so it's already fixed so why, why would you do that? It's way more yeah. dramatic if you do it the day of. And everyone's shitting themselves. Yeah, you've got like over half a month now. Yeah, no one's going to give a shit. That was stupid. God, these people are jackasses. I would totally just patch Tuesday, bam, bam. And it's everywhere and every, every system in the world is just shitting bricks because they can't trust patch Tuesday ever. You always have to patch later. Well, they're also banking on that they're the only ones who will discover this flaw in that time. Yeah. And that nobody's going yeah. to start working like crazy to figure out what it is. Oh, man. That's hilarious. I, I bet they already have. If it gets released before April 12th, like it's somebody else, somebody else should brand it and disclose it <laughs> before scoop April it. 12th. Yeah. Oh, my God. Scoop the phone. That would be awesome. God. Well, you know, one thing that's going to be interesting is that uh, this is probably going to affect a lot of versions uh, that are like, you know, there's still O3 servers, tons of them out there, and they're not going to be able to get this patch. So, that's going to be interesting, as well as on top of all the servers that already don't get patched, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, that'll be interesting. So, uh, I guess that's all the news that we have. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I guess so. All oh, right. wait. Oh, go. If you've got an old Kindle and you didn't update it yesterday, yeah. <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, wait, not yesterday. Like, three days ago. Yeah, on <laughs> Tuesday, yeah. And, and- Timely. And one thing that you can do, but you can hook it up to your computer directly and do the update. This has been Aww. known for like two years, at least. People should have updated their Kindle, but if you didn't do it, you certainly know you haven't. <laughs> um, so what won't it do? It, it, it won't it, connect it, to the internet? Yeah, it won't do the uh, like the 3G internet, I don't believe. Or no, no, no. You know what, this, what it comes down to, I think, is SSL certs. Is what it is. Not supporting, uh, like, uh, SSL version 3.0, I think. I don't remember. I think that had something to do with it. It was SSL, TLS. Okay, for a security measure, you know. Yeah. I can get behind that, I guess. Yeah. 
And, and on his, on his, uh, nah, never mind. I'll, I'll talk about that later. Anyways, uh, <laughs> let's move on to our uh, most infamous segment of the show, straight out of Florida. All right. Miami man will serve 25 years in prison for killing a young father in a fight over prized racing pigeons. <laughs> yep. So pigeons are a thing, and so is racing them. Racing pigeons? And apparently it's serious fucking business. Is this racist pigeons or racing pigeons? No, well, pigeons are all racist, but racing pigeons. Oh, okay. So racing racist pigeons. Yeah, goes without saying. Okay. Yeah, so apparently it's actually a sport that's totally serious and a bunch of people are really into down in Cuba and Florida and uh, dude got stabbed over it. Had some birds that someone else wanted. I don't know what to say. Oh, wow. Uh, so do they race these, like, the 90 miles between, like, Miami and Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> Is this like a carrier pigeon race? I don't think they have to anymore. I think they're getting internet. Well, that could have been like the the what was that RFC for? Uh, oh God! Carrier pigeons, you know. Yeah, the the TCP over carrier pigeon. Yeah, yeah. If you had a hundred and twenty eight gigabyte thumb drive that you put on that pigeon, you could have had some pretty decent speeds going back and forth there. That I, I would kill someone if someone screwed up my bandwidth speeds too. <laughs> Still more bandwidth than Mr. Chin's former setup. <laughs> yeah, and, and more stable, too. All you gotta do is put some seed out. <laughs> <laughs> Go get more pigeons. H-Ping. Yeah. H-Ping yeah. is a BB gun in this case. If you want to do the knowledge <laughs> service, you just... Fuck shot. Yeah. Well, is that it? Yep, that's all there is for that. Can we get a name of the person who killed the other person? Freddy Romero. Thank you, Mr. Romero, for that little little piece of, of history that we will keep with us forever. You're doing your duty. All right, so we'll move into our main segment of the show, or what we like to call your mom. Come one, come all. Engaging your mom in three, two, one. Activate. Okay, tonight's topic is ransomware. What it is, how it, how we got to where we are. Uh, we'll kind of go over an analysis from the uh, client side as well as kind of a view of the architecture and then uh, look at the uh, ransomware in the news and how it's kind of evolved into different platforms and then I'll kind of go into some uh, mitigation techniques. Uh, basically, ransomware is a form of cyber extortion. Basically, uh, holding somebody's content whether it be a service or their data for ransom uh, it's based on the premise that you're holding something that they value um, and so it, it's basically just threatening to either hold it or destroy it sorry I've got this uh, pressed to talk so scrolling through this is going to be a little difficult but basically ransomware is defined as uh, software that's inhibiting the use of the system and uh, unfortunately there's no guarantee that there's actually going to be any recovery after payment is made but from a ransomware producing's perspective it's really in their best interest to um, provide the content back because otherwise 
people aren't going to pay for it. Let's see, ransomware has been in the news recently. Um, unfortunately, there's, um, and I know this for a fact, that there's been much larger ransoms that have been demanded um, that have been that have not been disclosed because of the fact that these organizations either haven't paid it or they're not subject to having to publicly disclose this information. But um, let's see. According to Tripwire.com, half of American ransomware victims have actually paid the ransom. Uh, some of the bigger ones have been uh, Hollywood, Presbyter Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, who paid $17,000 worth of Bitcoin. Horry County School District of South Carolina, uh, Swansea Police Department, and Tewksbury Police Department, all paying uh, ransoms less than $5,000. Um, more recently, there has been an uptick in what's called malvertising, where these advertising content uh, distribution companies that are serving up the ads have actually been uh, serving up compromised uh, flash uh advertisings and things like that are which are actually leveraging the angler toolkit um this is was actually just done as recently as march 15th um some of the bigger uh sites that were compromised uh, in distributing malware were uh, new york times bbc msn aol answers zero hedge info links um the Hill, NFL, Realtor, Newsweek, all these are organizations. Uh, that was just in the most recent one. Um, other victims uh, were Spotify, TMZ, Skype, eBay, Drudge Report, and just like many more than I can ever count. So that kind of gives you a kind of a rundown of uh, ransomware in the news. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Now, uh, I'll kind of go over a, a brief uh, history of ransomware. Um, this was actually first originated in 1989, prior to the internet ever existing. Uh, it was a uh, virus, a Trojan actually, called the AIDS virus. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, what this guy did was, uh, I think his name was Dr. Joseph Pop. He actually uh, sent out this uh, uh, floppy disk that uh, ended up infecting people. It... Uh, Replaced the auto exec bat and after 90 days encrypted the files on C. Uh, then he asked people to renew their license by sending $189 to a P.O. box in Panama. Uh, Scotland Yard <laughs> ended up actually arresting this guy, and his defense was that he was actually taking the money and uh, donating it to AIDS research, but that didn't really do much for him. <laughs> oh, God. So anyway, uh, as time goes on, it kind of stayed stagnant until basically the internet era. And then came the uh, Revident class of uh, ransomware. This was circa 2011, and this is kind of embodied by the uh, FBI lock screen. Are you guys familiar with that at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, Any yeah. of your subject uh, gotten that before? <laughs> nope. Well, good. Um, basically... Uh, was real easy to circumvent. Just uh, boot into safe mode, take a away a couple registry keys, and you're back in business. So, anyway, the next thing to come about in the uh, world of uh, ransomware was actually not any ransomware in particular, but the advent of cryptocurrency, um, specifically Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's anonymous. It's secure. It's instant. It's not regulated by any central government. It's absolutely perfect for extortion. It's my favorite currency of choice, that's for sure. I'm a Dogecoin kind of guy myself, but hey, beggars can't be choosers. So <laughs> anyway, um, 
the next kind of round of of uh, ransomware we found was uh, Crypto Locker, which started right around Septemberish 2013, and basically the price of Bitcoin at that time went from $150 to almost $1,100 in the course of about three months because of what I assume is the uh, advent of CryptoLocker. Um, it was distributed mainly through the uh, Game Over Zeus botnet. And um, I'll kind of spare you guys the, the technical details, but ultimately it used domain generated algorithms to produce thousands of domains, only which one or two were real. Um, and that's how they kind of initially set up the uh, back end for the uh, botnets. Um, what it would do and what was so damning about CryptoLocker was this was the first ransomware that actually spread from not only the local machine, but also to the network and attached drives. Um, that was the really scary part. Um, it used AES 2048 asymmetrical encryption. And basically it's the de facto name for any crypto um, ransomware. So basically, if you're in an organization, oh, we got crypto lockered. Well, you, it, it may not actually be crypto locker. Next was a torrent locker. That one was pretty small because it was um, basically out of the UK, I think. Yeah, it is that a much smaller country. And it was also a lot easier <laughs> to uh, circumvent because they basically had a really simple naming convention for all their uh, domains that they generated. So basically anybody that could do some pretty smart regex could basically block all the domains. So um, that one was pretty well contained. <laughs> That's funny. Um, then uh, the next one was Alpha Tesla Crypt. That one was actually a, a video gaming uh, originally with a ransomware and they would only encrypt video gaming files but then they kind of evolved into uh expanding the uh certain files that they would encrypt what was interesting about this one was that the uh, people that created it used a uh, asymmetric i'm sorry a symmetrical encryption key and so uh talos group <laughs> was actually able to put a uh, they were able to decrypt it using a uh, forget how they did it but you could drop the talos file into the uh, uh tesla's crypt folder and you could pull out your uh private key so um upon v2 once they uh, published that in their blog um the uh guys came up with a version two of uh, the ransomware and started using asymmetrical encryption dope and that leads us to basically where we are now with crypto wall that's kind of the the bigger one that we're seeing it uh, came on the scene in 2014 um, basically they're leveraging compromised servers and uh, exploit kits uh, but what's interesting about this one in particular is the fact that they use uh, tor and i2p for their back-end communication yeah that's a much uh easier way to deal with the whole domain thing just grabbing the domain seizing them you can't seize uh, an I2P address or an onion address without having the private key. So that's nice, except for the fact that you have that traffic on your network, which could be potentially blocked. Right. Um, well, the next uh, thing, and I can't really show this to you guys. You'll have to, I'll have to post the uh, slide deck, but I kind of go over a, a technical step-by-step uh, -step process of the uh, infection. Uh, give me one second here. And your second is up. <laughs> All right. So basically what the uh, I'll, I'll kind of just go over a real quick process. Basically, the exploit kit will fire off starting the uh, the initiation and uh, call back to home that initiates a geolocation call, which is actually really, really fascinating. And then the next thing would be the C2 exchange. Um, what the 
interesting part about the uh, geolocation call is is that that's the one call back to the C2 server where uh, you can really kind of find it from a uh, analysis perspective. Uh, what I found interesting was is that depending on the geolocation call, if your machine is in an APT prone country like China, Russia, Iran, or one of those countries, uh, the ransomware will never ever execute. It, it basically says, hey, you're cool. We're not running on your system. Uh, <laughs> it might it might actually launch a clickjacking campaign, but it will not actually execute the ransomware portion. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was that it attempts to display the ransom message in the native language, depending on the geolocation code. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like a little, you know, idea there. Yeah. Um, then uh, we're kind of moving on to uh, ransomware evolved because most people just assume that ransomware is a Windows problem. Well, it's absolutely not. There's um, ransomware in Linda, Linda, uh, Linux, OS X. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Windows. Uh, Windows. <laughs> it's Linspire. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's even branched out to the mobile apps, uh, iOS and Android. Um, first off, the first Linux ransomware was uh, called Linux Encoder. Uh, basically, it was targeting web servers, and basically it was written by a, a script kitty. There's been three versions, and all three have been cracked. Um, it's it's honestly, it's a joke. Um <laughs> Oh my god, after they crack the first version, you don't fix it? Yeah, there's no point. Um, but what's interesting is is that the next version of uh, ransomware that came out on a non-Windows system was just recent. This is March 4th of 2016. Uh, OSX Key Ranger. Uh, this was actually a hybrid of the Linux encoder uh, source code. And um, what was interesting here was they actually took open source software the transmission bitcoin i'm uh, sorry the transmission BitTorrent client and um hacked their the transmission website they injected their own code into the open source code uh compiled it and published it on their own on the transmission site with the updated hash so people downloaded it uh roughly six thousand times before they discovered it um, which i thought was interesting uh, the other interesting thing about this in particular in particular to OSX was the fact that a Turkish developer's key was actually used to bypass Apple's gatekeeper security features. So um, I, I don't want to go into too much of it, but the fact is, is that this was a hybrid between a Linux encoder and Hidden Tier. And Hidden Tier was actually developed in Turkey. So uh, you're kind of led to assume that this may have been an inside job from that Turkish developer. Um, so... Um, any questions so far? Um, I don't know if you're going to get into this um, at some point, but I was wondering uh, if you had any information on uh, how they spread to network drives and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just mapped drives at this point. Um, and then, uh, how can I put this? Ransomware is just the basic payload. There's a lot more to it nowadays. Um, a lot of these payloads are, are rats and you know uh, remote access trojans and things where they're actually going to be um, laterally moving within clients in a system. And so that's how they're going. The lateral movement is ultimately where they're getting in from network drives into other systems, basically through like pass the hash and you know things like that. 
Yeah, the the network drive thing's the real the real fucker in all of this. Because uh, so like most corporations, enterprises, your file shares are network drives. Yep. And that's where it bones the companies. I mean, absolutely. The permissions so, I mean, issue is a big part of it, but well. And I'm going to go into that closer to the end about uh, certain mitigation techniques, specifically in regards to map drives and things like that. So uh, stay tuned. But we're going to touch (laughs) now on um, mobile devices. Um, Most people think, you know, Android is where most of the ransomware is. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Um, But first, we're going to touch on iOS because iOS has actually been victim of ransomware. Um, But... It's not actually uh, downloadable code. This was actually a phishing attempt. Back in 2014, um, Australian users' uh, iCloud's accounts were phished. And using the lost or lose, lost my iPhone feature, you can actually lock the phone and display a message. And if uh, these these people were actually <laughs> locking people's phones, and if they didn't pay a certain amount, they just wiped their phones. <laughs> that's incredible. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, and based on the definition, that's straight up ransomware. So, and funny enough, about two months later, the Russian officials arrested two people for uh, this uh, particular crime. <laughs> now, Russia, on, yeah, Russia actually, actually they actually arrested somebody. <laughs> yeah, they 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 do apparently from time to time uh, get the big guys and the dumbasses. You just want to stay somewhere uh, in the middle. They- they get the dumbasses and scapegoats. I don't think they get the big guys. Yeah, I think these, th- these were just two people. I think these were scapegoats. So, But uh, anyway, we're going to move onward to uh, Android because Android is really where the majority of mobile ransomware is, is happening. Uh, at this point in time, there's too many of these uh, lock screen uh, ransomwares to, to even list. Um, basically, they just prevent you from logging onto your machine. There's no encryption actually happening. Um, so I'm not really going to go into that, but uh, I'm going to specifically list two ransomware uh, pieces that I found actually interesting. The first is SipLocker. This is the first Android encrypting ransomware. Uh, it was discovered in uh, June of 2014. Um, and basically it only encrypted uh, image files. Uh, this very much so was like uh, CryptoLocker in that it was uh, talking through uh, Tor and I2P. And um, th- there actually is a decryptor currently available. So there is a, a resolution to this. Um, but my favorite ransomware of all time is um, Adult Player. It's what it sounds like. This is a Trojan... <laughs> that masquerades as a porn movie player. <laughs> but, but here's the here's the kick. Here's the kick. What this thing does is it takes photos using the front facing camera while the app is in use. <laughs> That's awesome. Then it initiates a lock screen, shows the photos and the <laughs> ransom message. And if the ransom isn't paid, it sends the message and photos to all contacts on the phone. <laughs> oh god, that is oh, evil. That is the best oh. thing I've ever heard. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, that that is the coup d'etat of ransomware as far as I'm concerned. So that yeah. is awesome. Does it show? Does it, oh, so it sends the picture, but does it show the uh, the content of like what you were looking at? 
I don't know. Uh, Whiskey, you, would you be our, our guinea pig and try it out for us? Sure thing. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Because that's what I would find the most entertaining. Is if, like, you know, you get a text message and it's a picture of your friend winking it. And it shows what they were looking at, like a thumbnail. Like, oh, okay. That's something I didn't even know existed as porn. But now I know. Apparently you're into women who are giants. You look at the background and it's your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Only Mr. Chan would have to worry about that. (laughs) Well, that basically is what I've discovered in the ransomware world. Um, But more, more, I'm going to be talking to a a fairly big blue team here. Um, We're going to go over mitigation techniques. A lot of these are just common sense. You know, the first one is, is backup often. You know, the more backups you take, the more opportunity you have to recover from a ransomware attack. However, most people seem to forget that you need to disconnect your backups when they're not in use because you then pose the risk of being subject to having your backups encrypted too. Of course. (laughs) But then on top of that, you need to actually go in and review the access to your shared resources. I don't necessarily think your janitor with an email address necessarily needs to have access to your financial records. Again, that's kind of common sense. Yeah, that, one thing that gets a little tricky there is uh, is that that's not. Oh, it's just always a big mess. Is doing the permissions that can that can be months of of work if you're walking into a horrible IT environment. Absolutely, and I think that's identity access management and user provisioning. That's almost a HR issue on, on in onboarding that will you know, where you're going to actually have to address that. Exactly. Um, but the other thing is, is that you can try to do is, is just disconnect your network volumes shares when you're not using them. You know, if you happen to be compromised at that time and you're not connected to a network share, hey, you're doing the whole organization a favor. Um, let's see. Some of the other things is, again, a lot of this is just common sense to us folks, but basically training your end users about social engineering techniques, in particular, phishing. Phishing, phishing. That's the main vector into organizations nowadays, and almost every compromise is phishing. Yep, I can tell you from firsthand experience our uh, amount of like positive, uh, like with test positive for viruses that come in, and uh, in, in general malware uh, are uh, it, it just it, it skyrocketed over the past like three months just in that case uh, and most of these are those whole it's not necessarily phishing but it's social engineering where it's like the invoice zip or whatever bullshit like that to get you to open up the file yeah specifically the two departments that are subject to this that type of uh, attack most often are your finance departments for the invoicing and things like that in hr because so many organizations are getting resumes all the time so and those again those are the two biggest organizations which kind of leads me to this next thing um as far as more mitigation techniques is and again common sense antivirus keep your av definitions up to date um patching Patching your OS and the software because you can't exploit vulnerabilities that have been patched. Um, the other things that I recommend, this is more client side, is actually uh, preventing malvertising through uh, implementation of browser add-ons such as AdBlock, UBlock Origin, 
Um, there's other add-ons such as NoScript, which disable Flash and JavaScript altogether. And then putting another layer of virtualization on top of your web browser using a product like Sandboxy or something like that. I think some of the new next generation browsers are actually implementing virtualization um, as part of their software. So that I, I applaud them for doing that. Yeah, one thing to watch out with NoScript is there's currently a vulnerability that's active in which you can uh, bypass all the protections using man-in-the-middle attacks and cross-site scripting, so... Jesus, okay. <laughs> Just an FYI. Um, I'd like to comment on the keeping your AV defs up to date. Um, sometimes it's difficult because uh, as far as a lot of the malware that I see at work, um, what they'll do is they'll do malware phishing campaigns and every attachment is modified just ever so slightly so that they all produce different hashes yep oh yeah that's very true this is just kind of general topic or general covering it because so often than not um you're right but there are old you know ransomwares that are, are coming in um this yeah, is one that I found that was a, a, an interesting correlation. Um, a lot of the ransomware for the geolocation callback use a single URL. It's like addr.es, um, and and for some reason all the ransomware guys use that. So if you're doing yeah. like, um, like a lot of the malware, like you were saying, um, the initial infections, like a dropper, and they download their payloads as like a secondary step. Um, I've seen cases where, you know, these, uh, like all the hashes are different and AV vendors are racing to keep up with them. I've seen an initial infection take place, but the actual endpoint protection blocks uh, the download of the payload because those are already known. Um, and a lot of times the, the files that the droppers will grab or drop onto the machine, um, they'll all have the same, uh, same hashes. So yes can at least kind of stop them stop them in progress although you nailed that, that one on the head because that's one of the other things i was going to mention is is or larger organizations that have ips systems are real good candidates for blocking the implementation and callback um, because they have that functionality the only problem that they these organizations are doing is that they're never actually implementing block mode on their ipss so yeah they see yeah. it but they're not doing anything about it yeah and that's uh one thing another thing i would add in there is uh evaluate your actual endpoint uh protection solution that you have in place because there's not just Symantec or trend micro anymore uh there are a lot of companies that are doing really awesome stuff and have higher detection rates better behavioral based um you know uh ways of detecting potential malware and not being uh i don't know uh, there's just better products overall out there so instead of just staying content with what you currently have look at some other options that exist out there because there are a lot of companies that popped up over the past 10 5 years that actually have uh way better solutions even if they aren't, their engine could be licensed from uh, another party like Kaspersky. They could use Kaspersky's engine, but their their endpoint protection solution is something that uh, is actually much better than what you would get with uh, a competitor. So, uh, shop around. I like that. Um, Thanks. 
(laughs) (laughs) A couple other things that I would recommend for mitigation, and this is a little controversial, I think, because um, the U.S. government is actually recommending this from their uh, for their federal institutions is to actually avoid open source software. I don't necessarily know if I agree with that perspective. I would say rather than avoiding open source software, but validate the hashes from external sites rather than from the where you're downloading the content from. I think that's a, a better method of doing that. Yeah, uh, the only real risk you have with open source software is if you get it from SourceForge. Other than that, you should be good. <laughs> and then... Uh, Don't download PuTTY from SourceForge. Exactly. Oh, God, yeah. you yeah. got to be careful with PuTTY. I just tell people to go to Ninite.com and use their downloader to get PuTTY. Because trying to find putty on the internet is not actually the easiest thing for a lot of people. Personally, I like the uh, putty fork called uh, Kitty. I think that's a better client altogether, but that's just me. Well, anyway. I'm going to have to check out your kitty a little bit later. You, you want to <laughs> pet my kitty? All right. All right. Well, the last thing I got for you guys is basically that ransomware is changing. It's no longer just infecting a single machine and maybe the network shares. What uh, specific with Hollywood Hospital, what they did was they were actually able to laterally move up to the uh, uh, domain controllers, and then they were actually able to deploy their ransomware via group policy to every device on their network. So (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah, so it's it's a lot bigger than just a single machine now. So what I would recommend is basically preventing lateral movement in your environment in addition to restricting ransomware. Because this is something we haven't touched on yet. You do not need administrative rights on your local machine to uh, get yourself infected with ransomware. Um, it's not necessary. So that's why um, lateral movement will help just isolate the uh, infection just to the single machine. So a couple of things I would recommend would be absolutely no password reuse and frequent password rotation. But that's, you know, kind of common sense. Uh, additionally, um, enabling least privilege um, in your environment. Basically, we all know not everybody needs administrative rights. Um, but more so, there are tools out there that can actually implement access control, restricting binaries that are not trusted from ever executing. And to be perfectly honest, that is the only way I really see uh, ransomware being completely eliminated from an organization because we sure as hell can't trust our end users. Um, it's coming out so frequently that we can't you know, create definitions to restrict it. Uh, the only way that you can really prevent it is basically only allowing a small certain set of uh, applications to run in your environment and blocking everything else. Like Office. <laughs> exactly. And maybe Adobe Reader. <laughs> but then that's your vulnerable to basically weekly vulnerabilities there. So who the hell knows? Um, but what I find really interesting out of all this is that the FBI says that basically the easiest way to get your data back is to just pay the ransom. And I think that's a crock of shit. I disagree. Yeah, they actually said yeah, it, it was in um, oh, 2012, the cyber conference. I've got the guy's name somewhere. Yeah, that's the official word from the FBI. It's just, just pay fuck? it up. 
Yeah, I, I think at that point you basically are letting the terrorists win, and I, I disagree with that. I think rather than, you know, if you didn't do your due diligence and back your shit up and take the precautions that you should have, yeah, it's more cost-effective to ultimately pay the ransom. But I just don't think that's the way to go about it. That's not the way to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the case of the hospital, if every single machine was owned and encrypted, I mean, what was it? They, how much did they pay? 17000 yeah, it ultimately Dude, came up to 40 bitcoins. Yeah, that's nothing in comparison to what you actually think about how costly it would have been for them to just go through and start from scratch. <laughs> it just yeah. would be impossible. What they ended up doing specifically was they only recovered the file servers that had critical data, and they just re-imaged the assets that they could basically deal without. Of course. So 40 machines ultimately were, what, uh, were of value as far as critical assets to them. Oh, so it was like each machine was a Bitcoin? Yeah, it was. Oh. <laughs> Man. Uh, it's like buying a new computer for most like uh, enterprises. They're, they're, the worth of their their computer, they're going to have it a couple years, two, three years, a lot of times. Yeah, but think about it this way. To implement like a solid uh, SOC or, you know, an implementation of a, a, a IPS it's going to be more than 40 grand. So, oh, I mean, from a cost perspective, they, they ended up with the better deal there. So, yeah. I, did, I, I think it's kind of, if, had they done their preparation ahead of time, they wouldn't have had to worry about disclosure. They wouldn't have had about, to worry about this bad press. Um, and, and basically, this is the thing I want people to take away from this, is that an ounce of preparation is worth a pound of cure. If you do your hard work ahead of time, you don't have to deal with the shit after the fact. One thing that I just don't understand is that I mean, I don't know. Maybe I do. I'm thinking of IT in a different perspective, but I, I understand how people run into these issues. I understand completely about the network shares and all the shit getting encrypted. I get it. But I, what I don't understand is how the backups are, are being such effective. If you're if you're dealing with virtualized environments, and even if you're not, like that's another. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about the backups. Um, all of my backup solution, any backup solution I would ever recommend for anyone would be. A, a P2V based uh, or a V2V based uh, backup solution. In this case, where you would just be able to, oh, uh, our file server got owned and everything's encrypted. Well, I'll just go back. We'll lose 15 minutes of data and I'll restore from that. Uh, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I just don't understand why that's not more commonplace, I guess. Because that ultimately allows for having a double cost of your infrastructure. Nobody wants to pay for two servers or high availability when it would, for your system to ultimately run only requires one server. People are cheap, and that's kind of the, the crux of the problem here. Anyways, but pound foolish. Yeah, Amen, brother. Yeah, I guess I guess the the idea of high availability not being an option is just I I, I couldn't compute that. I guess. And it's really not that expensive if you think about it. Overall, if you look at your your file server, that's very critical. If you have like a, a the cheapest VMware cluster, you get three servers with their Express Pro, whatever the fuck it is, and that, that gives you your high availability for your two servers and one uh, for your backups so, uh, server. Hook it up to a JBot and you're good to go. Shouldn't be a big issue, but apparently it is. 
Yeah, so that basically sums up the uh, the topic for the evening. So ransomware, why you shouldn't pay it, in my opinion. So thank you guys for uh, listening to me. You know, that's good. Yeah. So what would you recommend uh, if you were infected with ransomware? You're going to lose like a week's worth of data. Do you think the, the company should pay for it or, or just like eat the cost? And I mean, it's really a, a business decision at that point. It ultimately is. I mean, if you are to the point where you don't have backups um, and it makes more sense and it's more cost effective to pay the ransom to get the files back, I would say pay it. But the only problem with that is, is basically at this point, you have a big target on your back because, you know, I'm sure it gets around underground that, you know, hey, this guy paid the ransom. There's going to be another round of uh, ransomware that's going to come out, whether it be a revision of the same code or hell, the next round of ransomware. It just means that, you know, if you don't take the due diligence again and secure your systems again, you're potentially vulnerable so and pay your ransom again so I, I i'd say pay it one time but then lock down your shit yeah that's a that's a, that's a good way to look at it uh black math what's your thoughts i don't know i think it depends on the actual risk calculations that you do or if anyone in your organization actually knows how to do like risk analysis i mean i don't know if paying the ransom in the long run actually has a cost benefit I guess. Well, what if you lost all of the company's data? And you have no backups? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, why are they paying for this ransom anyways? They they have backups, but how long ago were they? There, there's yeah, some I mean, value in these companies paying for it. They're not just doing this. I mean, a lot. I'm sure there's some poor bastards that don't have backups. I mean, I, I've had people ask me about, hey, can you help me get my files? It's I got, I got some ransomware. Nope. You didn't back up. I'm not. You're just gonna have to pay. I mean, what? What do you well, mean? in the long run, what, what? What are you going with that train of thought? Is what I'm asking. I think it depends on really the uh, the philosophy of the way the, or, the the organization operates, right? Uh, like if you take DDoS attacks against a lot of the early online casinos, uh, people would pay and they would keep getting dosed because they got known as people that would pay to get out of the jam. And it didn't take, um, I mean, it took some of those companies actually standing up to it and suffering huge losses while they developed some sort of mitigation technology to stay alive during DDoS attacks for a lot of the DDoS mitigation technology uh, area and developments to take off. So I don't know, you have to have groups of organizations that are willing to take a little more idealistic approach and think about the big picture like in the long run i mean if they don't get if they don't get their money they don't have an industry right well true but if they don't get their money you don't get your files that's true i've personally seen groups that have a particular group that took an entire year's loss of data because this is the last time they took a backup jesus christ instead of paying the ransom how large is this organization? Uh, I was an organization. It was like a you know a certain department within an organization. Oh my god! I couldn't imagine that. Even in my personal life, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd gladly pay a Bitcoin to get my data back. 
Now, I'm going to do another talk later on about cyber extortion from a DDoS perspective, but it kind of correlates into this. Uh, specifically with DDoS extortion, you don't actually know if the DDoS is actually going to stop because who's right. to say another organization is not going to continue the DDoS once the other organization stops? That's correct. Yeah. So stay tuned for uh, for that. Oh, we got ransomware, a form of extortion. We got a news story about sextortion. This has been an uh, extortion-filled episode. Yeah. Now, Zandy, you're more on the sextortion side of things. <laughs> but what's your views on on this? Are you a fan of wan- uh, of ransomware? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's punishment for not taking backups like you should, but nobody takes backups anyways. Everything's terrible. I don't understand. It's not hard. You know, that's the thing, is people just need to have decent backup solutions. That's it. That's it. That's the fix to this. I mean, it's the fucking IT basics that people get wrong because they're lazy. You take backups, you make sure they work, you get that solid, then you do it, you know, every day, every week, whatever. There's literally shit you buy for it. Yeah, like, honestly, if you, you, it's called a BDR solution, Backup Disaster Recovery. All you have to do is have that in place, and you are good. It'll do it on a, on a block level. You don't have to worry about your operating system, whatever. It's all good. It's virtualized, and you can spin it up right after the ransomware attack occurs. Oh, and then if it gets affected again, you just go back to a former snapshot. I have a, 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 a uh, uh, the company I work for. Uh, I have backups every 15 minutes of all servers. Uh, everything is backed up every 15 minutes, um, and offsite daily. So, uh, at the most that we would ever have to deal with if a tornado came in or some catastrophic, horrible thing occurs to the infrastructure, is we'd lose a day of data. No, then do you regularly like? Try to restore something from a backup to double check that everything works. Oh, absolutely not! No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only oh, paid God. so much. Um, that sinking feeling when shit goes down and you go to restore from backup and it doesn't work. Well, l- let me put it to you this way: there are uh, there are BDR solutions in place. Uh, uh, you know that you can get off the market that will actually. Uh, once it's done, either the P2V or the V2V um, snapshot, uh, every night you can have it to where it'll boot up the VM and email you a screenshot to verify that it actually booted up correctly. Uh, and that's not booting up on your your production network. It's its own, uh, you know, it'll boot it up into its own little VLAN that doesn't get past the, the hypervisor itself. Or the BDR appliance, I should say. There's tons of solutions out there. It, it's so simple nowadays to do, to manage all of that, uh, and it's not even that expensive. So I, I, I just don't understand why organizations are having such a big issue with backups because it, it, it is really really cheap to do. Hell, you can even get like Veeam f- uh, for free. Uh, they have a free version that does a lot of shit, uh, but there's way more sophisticated options out there. But yeah. It's crazy. I don't understand it. It's probably just laziness and thinking, oh, that's not going to happen to me. 
I don't know. I th I've actually found a lot of people just aren't aware of BDR solutions as a whole of like what they offer their company. IT people just aren't familiar with them either. Uh, I mean, what you're going to put an appliance for a spam filter, but your backups, you're going to run some like, what would Smantex uh, backup, backup exec? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Virtualize all of it. That's, move it to the clouds. Put it in the clouds. It'll be safe there until your cloud providers got ransomware on their computers. Oh, God. Can you imagine like a cloud hosting provider? Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, yep. that would actually That'd work. Because even if they encrypted stuff, they could encrypt the encrypted files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, if, if you're a particularly ambitious ransomware developer, go after one of the cloud hosted solutions and ransom their shit. Yeah, it would be a bad day. You know what would be great about that is if, if, if you're able to do it and the company is just like, fuck it, we can't afford it. And uh, they put up a crowd crowdfunding <laughs> <laughs> campaign to pay for this they send an email to all their customers saying look we need some help right now yeah two options either you can continue to use us and you contribute with our crowdfunding campaign or please, please take this crowdfunding me link and share it on social media yeah so we don't go out of business yeah or you can just we can just take your last month's payment and, and pay for the ransom and go out of business it's really her decision at this point <laughs> way to pass the buck actually uh it wasn't ransomware but uh there was a startup that had a partnership with the isp that i used to have when i was a municipal isp in louisiana that i used to have and uh they went tits up and only gave everyone like a two weeks notice and deleted everyone's data after two weeks so wow. Yeah, very similar to the ransomware thing, I guess. Only it wasn't encrypted. There was no real reason. They just quit. <laughs> but anyways. Rage quit. Well, I have personally suffered uh, massive data loss for personal data. And that taught me two things. One, that backups are real and not just something you talk about. And two, I can handle starting from scratch. So... <laughs> like from a personal perspective, I'd never pay ransomware. I'm fine starting from scratch. Like I'm okay with that. Not me. I've I have just about every single file uh, I've created or used or whatever since uh, 2006. My like like 10 years of my digital life, I have everything. Well, all, now all if I got. If, if I got crypto walled with all of the archived Mr. Chin photos and things like that, then I might consider paying the ransom. Hell, I'd pay for your ransom at that point. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so but for yeah, me, I would t imagine like I have, oh, I don't even know, probably close to at least 20 terabytes worth of files that aren't media. Uh, like, you know, like movies and, and, and stuff like that, just... Uh, just tons of data, tons of data. And if that got encrypted, well, if as someone else overrode my encryption, I should say, uh, I would pay, I would pay a Bitcoin. Now I feel like someone's gonna break into the house and just encrypt all my things and hold hold it ransom. 
I don't know. I like purging. I like fresh starts. I like doing that on a desktop, but the files itself, I, I have just literally terabytes and terabytes of data dating back to high school. So I'm a, I'm a hoarder of digital files. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that wraps everything up here. Uh, Zandy, what's your last uh, words for the show? Oh, God, I don't even know. Back All right. Shit up. Just do it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Rainmaker, what's yours? Nothing, dude. I'm tired. I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Black Math? Uh, use word macros if you want to get a good party started. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, from all of us at Shadow Systems, as always, we encourage you to hack the planet. Shadow Systems.